Welcome back to Everything EOS, the longest running EOS podcast. I am here today with my partner in crime, Nathan Rempel. He uh, is a San Francisco Sydney Hackathon mentor with an EOS IO, Generos, a block producer at the beginning, EOS Toolkit IO, Airdrop Stack, you invented the V Airdrop, a former ambassador of EOS Nation, uh, worked on Parcel, Karma, and you're now the principal engineer at Liquid Apps. But the very special guest who I'm very happy to have on the channel, you're only the third Block One employee, current employee at the time of the recording to join me, Dan and Brendan, uh, being the first two, I'm here with Bart Wyatt. Uh, you are the VP of Blockchain Engineering at Block One. Thank you uh, for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> so you've been at Block One since 2017. What were you doing before Block One? Uh, what was your original role at Block One and how did you evolve into uh, this role of VP of uh, Blockchain Engineering? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, my, my origin story actually starts in the video game industry. I spent a long time there making uh, AAA console games for uh, entertainment purposes. Um, decided that that industry was not exactly the right fit for me. I love playing video games, but I didn't like working in video games as much. Um, bounced around in a couple of different industries, one of which led me into uh, kind of a blockchain adjacent industry. I was working in digital identity uh, and privacy uh, right before I joined Block One. And we were actually uh, pitching kind of a digital identity startup uh, in San Francisco when Block One announced its crowd sale. Um, we had some back, uh, like we had some back end relationships with some of the people at Block One. So we flew out to meet them as well. Um, and in the process of kind of pitching our identity process, uh, project, it became pretty clear that we'd work better together than uh, kind of separate as an investment. And so at that time I started moonlighting just as kind of a community contributor uh, with Dan on the very, very early stages of ESIO 1.0. So I was just uh, working under a different flag, but still basically working nights and weekends on ESIO. When, uh, when that startup folded as most startups do, uh, I went to Dan and I said, you know, it's gonna be a big lift to get EOSIO 1.0 off the ground. I think I can help you. Uh, and he agreed. And that was supposed to be kind of a short-term contract just to kind of finish out 1.0, close it out. Um, but you know that gave me all the time I needed to get involved with the community and really fall in love with the product. So once we shipped 1.0, uh, I just stuck around. And then we shipped 2.0 and I stuck around. And now here we are um, launching E4B and, and really trying to make a play into a, a much broader, larger market and have a lot of impact. And, uh, and here I am, you know, still, still VP of engineering. So I started off as a, just an individual contributor as a, a software engineer. I ended up being the, the team lead under Dan uh, for the version 1.0 of the product all the way through uh, version 2.0. And then that's when I really started pivoting into this more enterprise focused VP role. Started from the bottom, now you're here. Started so, from the bottom. <laughs> you introduced the topic. So there, there's some core topics we have planned. Uh, we could veer off in whatever direction we go, but we're going to talk about EOSIO for business. Uh, this is something that was announced publicly on October 15th, which includes EOSIO training and certifications, blockchain as a service for enterprise, a consulting arm. Um, and I'm also, I'm just giving a telegraph. I uh, will be asking about the EOS block producer or the EOS block producer from Google Cloud. Uh, that's an interesting topic I would love to hear more about. But first, uh, what's EOSIO for business for those who didn't catch the press release? Yeah, so uh, EOSIO for business is, is kind of a new addition to our roster here from Block One. You know, when we started this journey back in uh, 2017 to deliver a public blockchain, 
uh, all of our eyes were on you know, building this community and building a, really a public blockchain technology. Uh, we focused on it and we focused on it really, really hard. And I think we ended up you know, doing pretty well in that product vertical. Uh, we didn't really at that time pay a whole lot of attention to what the, the business aspects were, were gonna be and how we would get those users on board and interested in the technology. And so since the launch of 1.0, this has always been kind of on the back burner. Uh, and we've always had a long-term goal of getting to a point where we could really offer EOSIO as not just uh, a public chain technology, but really a powerhouse in the, in the private blockchain world. Uh, E4B being kind of our first uh, public launch, uh, publicly announced launch of, of services uh, kind of to that end. So it's in a way, it's a, it's, a, it's a party where we get to announce what we've been working on behind the scenes for so long uh, and, and kind of what we want to do to help some of these uh, other participants join the community and build amazing software and amazing applications on top of ESIO. So when we get into you know, what it actually is right now. And I wanna stress that this is, this is where we start. Um, this is the beginning of a story. It's the beginning of a journey. Um, everything's gotta start somewhere. So we've decided to start with these kind of four, what we call pillars. Uh, and we describe them that way because they really are supposed to be foundational. Uh, we don't want to be the, the people that are, that are building you know, the big apps and things like that. There are plenty of other businesses out there that are already trying to make those impacts and what they're struggling with to be honest as as they came to us and as we went out and reached out and tried to interview people are some of these things that uh, we consider kind of the table stakes for building a blockchain application uh, the more and more we thought about it the more and more we realized that those should be what we come out of the gates with as far as like a starting offering for really onboarding as many enterprise customers as we could and so you mentioned the four pillars kind of up front, but when you when you think about it, those are all the things that every blockchain application we think is going to need. Um, and really, they're just kind of distractions from the core value of what you're trying to do with your application and software. So we want to partner. We, we want to partner with those application developers. We want to be a partner for these big enterprises. And as they go to market with various blockchain applications, which is what we really want to happen, uh, we'll take all the all the kind of busy work off the table. You know, we will we will offer the direct support so that when they're live and up and running um, and, and something goes bump in the night, we'll get the call uh, and we'll we'll make sure it stays up and stays live uh, when they need to think about how their blockchain architecture is going to look from a hardware perspective instead of an application perspective. That's that's a distraction. So blockchain as a service can just abstract that entirely away from you. Um, and then we get to kind of more interesting products, I think, like the certification and training, where we're going to try to get them paged into a larger swath of really the capabilities of ESIO and blockchain in general, just to get them thinking about how big of an impact they can make in their organization and with their business workflow. Uh, and so, you know, tying together kind of all four of those pillars, and then of course, consultancy, because let's face it, blockchain engineers are, are hard to come by. Um, you know, we're expensive. Uh, sometimes we have our own ideas. So it's not always easy to find someone who is both good at blockchain and, uh, and also good at really developing an application. Now, 
I say that in the presence of uh, in the presence of Nathan, who is both good at blockchain and good at developing applications. <laughs> but consider for a moment that this is this is a rare occurrence where uh, we happen to have kind of a nexus of that, and most enterprises are having struggles, uh, you know, hiring into blockchain. So. As a consultancy offering, we felt like we needed to be able to help people over that that first step, over that first kind of milestone, get these things in and in production, and then they can kind of attract their own talent and and bring their own blockchain uh, blockchain developers to bear. And maybe we even train those blockchain developers up the, through the uh, the certification process so that they can staff. When it comes to when it comes to the premier technical support and um, uh, and and some of the consulting services. What do you sort of uh, foresee sort of how that rolls out? Like if, if a new company was coming to you, what, what does that sort of experience look like for them? And what does it look like for the community? Is this like, hey, we, we have the best engineers and you're always going to use, you know, block one engineers? Or are there going to be partnerships that form where you might have, um, you know, similar to Microsoft or something where you might have like associates or, or groups of associates where you can say like, hey, if you want uh, to pay this price or here's some, Here's some groups that offer these consulting services that have gone through our training. What's sort of uh, the, the vision going to look like and what's going to be the uh, sort of the working experience or partnership experience going to look like? Certainly, yeah. We do, we do want to kind of cultivate uh, an ecosystem of partners for sure. And a lot of those partners are going to be uh, doing things on the blockchain engineering side as well as the application development side. I think for the most part, we see a, we see a future with so many so many applications built on blockchain that there's really not a, uh, a competitive a competitive landscape there. Um, so when we look at things like the certification and training, we're absolutely looking to train up blockchain engineers so that the, the kind of global pool of blockchain engineers available to do work on any kind of blockchain application grows. Um, I think that's that's just you know baseline investment in the future of blockchain. It's baseline investment in the in the future of ESIO. That's the kind of traction we want with that uh, that certification and training program. Um, sure. Our consultancy offering, you know, that we want to get into some of these mostly to learn and also to help people, like I said, over that kind of first hump of getting something off the ground. Um, again, I think the pie here is so large uh, that it's hard to see uh, our consultancy offering is really competitive. I think it's just purely trying to get more and more uh, use cases out there and build and, and develop that ecosystem so that there's there's more blockchain in the world, period. Sure. What's some, what's some of the sort of focus when a, that you, you might anticipate when a company comes to you and they have a, an idea or a DAP um, that they want to deploy? Do you, is, is kind of the vision to look strictly uh, at the ESIO base layer that you guys have built, plugins that you have built, or are you including community tools like Diffuse, um, like you know, DAP service providers and, and other various tools and uh, open source projects people have deployed? Is that sort of part of the, th uh, the things that you might look at? What's sort of that strategy look like? So I, I've, I've made kind of some public statements about how I'm more into blockchain really than anything else. And I'm looking at this as a, as a much larger play. Uh, and I don't, I don't really see a future where one set of tools and one set of technology wins, you know, a, a monopoly on blockchain. I think I think we're still in the early days of blockchain, and I think we're still building out a lot of this core technology. And and so, you know, we're not going to prescribe uh, a, a one set of tools. Uh, it's not going to all come from from block one for sure. So 
as we see people and they have needs, um, you know, a lot of these needs have been seen before as you're, as you're kind of alluding to and talking about. And I don't think we have any problems with uh, giving, them, giving them the answers that they need and the solutions that they need uh, sooner rather than later so that they can get to, you know, making those apps really impactful and, and really delivering on the promise of blockchain. Because that's, again, where I think I and, and Block One really see the future. The future is, is blockchain. And now, obviously, I have a vested interest in EOSIO being a big part of that future um, and, and maybe even future versions of EOSIO being a big part of that future. But as long as the future has more blockchains in it and we are seeing the real impact, the real world impact of those applications, I'm gonna consider it a success. And I think for the most part, you would find that that's, that's kind of a, a standard across of all, all of block one. We're not seeing this as a, as a winner take all situation. We're seeing this as a blockchain take all situation. And that can mean a lot of things. What, uh, so whenever the news came out of the entire suite of offerings, I, I was, it, I, I could offer my own opinion on uh, what I thought of it. I think it is great for the ecosystem, but the biggest uh, thing I saw in like the Telegram channels and on Twitter is a lot of questions about how does EOS IO business in this whole suite, how does it benefit public networks and in particular EOS? Is there a correlation here uh, or is it uh, something that by growing the developers for EOSIO, you essentially are growing the EOS ecosystem also. Um, what is the tie-in here, if any? Yeah, I think you hit one, one of the nails directly on the head. The more EOSIO developers there are out there in the ecosystem, the more training, the more adoption, no matter where that adoption has, that's all good for any EOSIO public network. That just brings familiarity with the technology. It brings belief in the capabilities of the technology. It will, you know, in some of those use cases will will need a, a public chain in order to really achieve their goals. And so by growing the ecosystem of developers who are familiar with this technology, who love this technology, uh, that's gonna have that, that kind of splash and halo effect to all, all ESIO deployments, including the public chains. Um, so that's, that's one aspect of it for sure. Um, the other aspect is kind of the same, but also slightly less developer focused, but it's also kind of a halo effect, which is that the more uh, that enterprises and other organizations see EOSIO as a really capable technology, and the more that uh, we get some of these applications built out and they're delivering impact, and the users, whether they're inside of an organization or they're end users on their you know phones, see EOSIO as something of a, like a brand of quality. You know, the same way that we used to see you know. Uh, Intel badges and all sorts of NVIDIA badges and stuff like that for various computer hardware, that's going to start to become just kind of a brand that you can look for. And since all of the public networks also carry that brand at some, at some level, that means they're going to be able to kind of benefit from just the brand awareness, you know, at all. When you think about it, you know, this is kind of, um, this is kind of the model that, uh, that Ethereum has kind of gone with so far where, there is the Ethereum mainnet, but there's also all of these other Ethereum projects. And I feel like if we can really get just the name ESIO to be synonymous with a highly functional, highly capable blockchain software suite, um, then that's certainly gonna have aspects uh, to, you know, it's certainly gonna have benefits to the public chain. And here's where I'll go ahead and tee you up for the next thing. Like there's a proof point already in this. Um, I feel like we got EOSIO to a point where it had the kind of technology uh, backing and the kind of, uh, you know, 
the kind of capabilities and the proof of that capability that we got a big tech company interested in joining one of our public networks communities. I mean, this is this is Google joining the EOS community. It's not Google joining Block One. You know, it's not Google um, developing EOSIO the technology. Something about our our technology and the community's use of that technology inspired them to join that community. And I don't want to I don't want to put it all on the technology side because that would be you know too much. And I don't want to put it all on the community side because I do feel like this technology does have something to it. But some combination of that became magic and. You know, regardless of what your opinions are uh, of Google or large organizations, that is a huge, huge win for EOSIO, the technology, and EOS mainnet to have attracted that level of interest, that level of trust, that level of capability. Um, I think it just signals really big things. And those are the kinds of benefits that I think we will get more and more uh, as we start to really push this technology out into the world and show everybody uh, what it's capable of, you know? Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Um, so no matter what complaints anyone may have had about the EOS IO business stuff, EOS block producer, I, I think you guys had something to do with the onboarding process. Were you involved at all with like the initial conversations with Google? Like how did it go from like a, a first contact all the way up to them, I, I guess, deploying a, a mainnet block producer? What was uh, the block one involvement of that process? You know, I, I'm not actually all that sure. I, I wasn't involved in it. So uh, that mm -hmm. would be a better question probably for someone at Google. Um, you know, we've been, we've been customers of Google, but we've also been customers of plenty of other public clouds mm -hmm. uh, as just a, an organization developing software. So uh, that's, that's the extent of my interactions with Google. Yeah. Um, in a way, you know, even being the, the person that's developing the technology and leading the team that's moving the protocol forward, uh, I was, I found out about the same time you, you did, you know, I was just as surprised, but also just as happy uh, that that was a, you know, kind of a, a good accolade, good feather in the, in the hat, as they say. Mm -hmm. All right. So it kind of ties in with Google, not necessarily their block producer, but as a cloud infrastructure uh, provider. Um, so you guys announced the blockchain as a service component of your business. You also announced mythical games as the first client of that business. Um, whenever a, a business or a project wants to use your BAS and spin up a blockchain, what, what's that process look like? Do they have to interact with you guys or are there plans to maybe interface into the marketplaces or dashboards of the cloud infrastructure providers like what we've seen in the past with uh, Ethereum-based projects? Yeah, so for, for right now, uh, blockchain as a service is kind of a direct offering. So you will have to come and in, in, enter an inquiry with us and, and talk to us a little bit about it. As for where it's going to go in the future, um, I can't really say at this point, but I do think we'll be making announcements uh, in that vein, you know, sometime in the coming months that will be very interesting as far as that's concerned. Um, I do want to give a, a quick shout out to Mythical. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned before, my, my story starts in the video games industry. Uh, I have a lot of respect for teams that go through this kind of, uh, this kind of release process, and they have been uh, killing it. And, and I'm happy that we have been able to play a part of that. And I am, I'm really excited for what their, what their product Blanco's, Blanco's buy, block party does. Buy some Blanco's the other day. <laughs> I, I can neither confirm nor deny. Uh, <laughs> that I, I, I sure did. I got, a, I got them all. I got two of them. Yeah. I just think it's exciting. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a big thing. Um, it's powered by ESIO and, and they're a great team. So I'm, I'm really happy to see where that goes. Um, 
when it comes to blockchain as a service as well, um, mm -hmm. you mentioned that there's other blockchains, there's other brands. Um, obviously, interoperability is always an issue. And we also have a number of pre-existing public chains, um, you know, such as the mainnet, um, such as Talos, Wax, and others. Um, is the drive for businesses to create new public chains? Is it to utilize existing public chains? Uh, is it kind of like semi-private where they have you know, private public chains? Are they attaching to other protocols? Um, and, and it may be like uh, it's all down to the customer, but uh, are you sort of supporting all those scenarios or are there certain scenarios that uh, you will support more easily or more readily? And does that lead some of the... Um, the development in Nodios to sort of open up some of those options as well that we might see trickle down to uh, the, the public open source code. Got it. I like it. Multi-part questions. So uh, at its initial launch, and as I stressed kind of earlier in the interview, uh, this is just where we start. Uh, so there will be, there will be uh, evolutions over time and we'll go forward. But at this time, at the initial start, what blockchain as a service is, is mostly hosting a managed private chain for enterprises that want to build an application as Mythical did and have all of that abstracted away from them, all the operations of the blockchain abstracted away from them. So at this time, it doesn't necessarily support some of those scenarios that you, that you pointed out and asked about. Um, the second part of your question is, will that influence the, develop of, the development of the kind of core Nodios uh, pro, uh, process? and and will we see advancements into kind of adopting some of these deployment scenarios in the future? I guess my answer for that is, how could it not? <laughs> we, you know, we as a, as a blockchain as a service operator, we're gonna be able to see kind of how that ticks and how that works for people. And that's, that's going to be a point of input into our product process as far as where EOSIO goes in the future. Much the same way that, you know, we take feedback from a whole, whole host of people in the community and in the private sphere um, so it will obviously, uh, in my mind, affect the directionality of EOSIO, the product. How and when it will affect it, I, I can't really say right now. Again, I will say that uh, in the next coming months, I think we will be making more and more public announcements that will, that will uh, make you happy in, in these particular directions. But as of right now, I kind of have to save a little bit for, uh, for that surprise. Sure. I have kind of a, a fun question. And it was, you mentioned um, when, uh, you know, Nodios and ESIO was initially being built, it was more about the public focus, the community focus, and business was kind of maybe not an afterthought, but it wasn't certainly the first thought. And now that you are exploring um, how to bring businesses in, what was kind of the first thing that you saw, like sort of high impact thing where it was like, oh, duh, obvious where it's like, why didn't we just include that from the start or, oh, we need to get that in there ASAP. And it was just kind of like a face palm duh moment to, hey, we missed this big <laughs> thing. I mean, I, so we haven't come to the point where we've got the, the, the face palm moments resolved and, and into the product yet. Uh, the more and more that we looked for stuff like that, and the more and more we looked for a way to make uh, like, an, like an application layer impact on these things, the more and more the duh moment was when we, when we, they just kept beating us over the head with this idea of like, no, 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 we, we want to partner with you. And these are the kind of foundational things that we're struggling with. And so it's like, it's one of those things where we, we did want to address these higher level topics and we did want to address these capability level topics. But every time we talked to people, it was like, oh yeah, okay. You, you also need someone that would host your blockchain. That would keep you, that would, that would allow you to sleep at night. 
but what about this? And like, oh, okay, like you also want some support. Like that would allow you to sleep at night. But what about, okay, 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 you want us to train your staff and that would help you sleep at night. But what if, and they're like, finally we're like, why don't we just give them what they're asking for? And so that's that's how that ended up becoming <laughs> our, our first four pillars is is it was it, everyone, no matter what they came in and, and asked us for, or came in and told us or came in and complained about, this was also part of the feedback, you know, is that these kind of things are things that we would gladly partner with you on and, and everyone would benefit from it. So we, we eventually took the bait. You know, I don't think there was a whole lot of uh, genius on our side. It's just, we listened, we listened to what people were asking us to do and, and then we built it and now we're offering it. And I think we'll largely play that same tune again. We'll listen to what people are asking us to build and we'll build it and we'll offer it. And that includes not just, you know, private enterprises that are looking to build um, applications, but it includes the communities on all these public networks. And it includes, you know, the infrastructure components on all these public networks. All of these, all of these uh, entities end up being our customers of sort. And if we can find a way to build something and partner with them and allow them to sleep easier at night while they're creating value in this like broader EOSIO ecosystem, that's what we're going to do. You know, that's where we want to be. Uh, there's some stuff I want to talk about um, Google, but I don't know if you wanted to talk about some more broader topics for Zach and I, Bart. I'm not sure if there's too much uh, you can share regarding Google, like uh, if you don't have like a very close relationship with them. I'm curious about things like, um, you know, adding blockchain services to like Firebase and, um, you know, different if, if Google might be adding different suites, obviously they, uh, they've created like Angular and, uh, and Node.js and certain things. And it's like, well, if there was a blockchain native blockchain integrations into some of those projects that could be cool but is that stuff that you have any sort of like knowledge or, or thoughts around that you could share or is that i mean stuff? i don't we could we could sit here and and <laughs> kind of geek out and and uh and, and dream together a little bit about it because i think everything you just said was cool but you yeah know, I don't have anything, <laughs> uh, nothing nothing of substance to actually share that so yeah Fair enough. Maybe maybe another time we can uh, chat about it over uh, over a drink. <laughs> yeah, hopefully another time we can chat about that. Like I would, you know, dreams dreams that become realities are kind of awesome. Uh, right? I, I did see on um, the front end that they threw up for their block producer. It did mention that they'll be adding uh, EOS support to BigQuery, which I thought was pretty cool. It'll give you a nice, really robust search through the whole blockchain history. I think there's a lot of tools that can yeah, be put on built on top of that. Yeah. I think that's great. I think it's, you know, access to a whole bunch of, uh, yeah, analytics and, and data tools. Mm -hmm. It's going to be good. So let's move on from one pillar to another, the consulting arm. Uh, so we've talked about mythical, uh, what, what's the ideal consulting client look like? Like what type of company is it? Is it app, uh, industry specific? And do you consider uh, block one projects that are kind of independent like voice? So do you consider projects like that? consulting clients and also mythical games is already an EOSVC project. So it makes sense that you guys already had that relationship built and they became one of your consulting clients. Uh, is there an EOSVC tie-in? And uh, I guess going back broader than that is like, who are your clients? Who, who do you want them to be? Yeah, I, I, there's no explicit EOSVC uh, tie-in. This is an, uh, an exclusive offering or anything of that, of that nature. Um, Obviously, there's there's benefits towards looking at, at things we've invested in, but you know that's just kind of circumstantial. Mm -hmm. um, I think you know you talk about voice; uh, those are 
that is one model of, of kind of an ideal client for consulting. Uh, you know, anyone who is going to, any organization, I should say, that is going to try to take uh, blockchain to that next impactful level, uh, that's kind of our, that's kind of our ideal. I think we're, we're still in kind of the, the shock and awe uh, stage of, of blockchain. And, and when you think about it, like the competitor to blockchain is not, or to EOSIO is not another blockchain. The competitor to EOSIO is the same competitor that every blockchain has, which is whatever they're doing now, you know, the status quo. It's, it's how they built an application 10 years ago and not, not this year. Um, that's the kind of, that's the kind of impact we're looking for. So, uh, our ideal client is someone who has that, that, uh, potential, uh, to be an impact and also wants to partner with us on the, on the development lift. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're offering that as a, as an offering publicly. So anyone can come and, and kind of, uh, engage in that service. And I don't think we're going to get to a, a point where we have to be overly picky uh, uh, as, as far as who we take on, but there are certainly a class of projects that I think we would we would like to see made into the world. And if the only blocker for that is that they can't find a development partner, then we will happily be that development mm -hmm. partner. So before block one got into the enterprise space, there were several, just off the top of my head, um, EOS Dublin, Rewired, EOS Costa Rica, Digital Scarcity, I, I, I could name a lot more teams that their focus was enterprise. And one of the things that I've seen them uh, say publicly in different channels are whenever they're out in the field trying to speak with traditional businesses to onboard them onto these blockchain use cases, that the reputation of EOS in the public network has a very substantial negative effect on their ability to, to sell and pitch to these companies. And then also uh, up until recently, there was a problem with communication with block one. The, the projects were hesitant because whenever they would ask, okay, so you guys aren't the developers of this EOSIO software you're speaking of, what's your relationship with the developers of it? And at the time there wasn't any. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm here on behalf of block one. I can't really speak to the reputation that EOS or any other public network has. Um, but I will say that, you know, we heard the other side of that feedback loud and clear. Uh, there's, Part of this, which is that when it comes to enterprise, um, block one is, is a new kid on the block. You know, all blockchains are new, uh, new kids on the block. And it takes a long time for you to establish that reputation that gives a, an enterprise client comfort that they can invest a large sum of money into a, into a project that depends on that technology. Um, and that's kind of what you know we heard that loud and clear we heard that loud and clear from these people in the community that were reaching out to enterprises and again this is this is why we developed this kind of four pillar program that can act as kind of a air support so to speak for all those that are trying to go out to enterprises and develop eosio based applications you know we want to be we want to be that kind of anchor that makes both uh, the person developing the application and maybe the enterprise that is going to deploy it feel safer about that. You know, if that's, if that's in terms of will block one be there, you know, in the next couple of years, that's an easy thing for us to build a reputation on and kind of show our proof points for if it's about, well, what happens when the network goes down at a critical moment, this is why we offer things like premium tech support and blockchain as a service. I see those as, as just value adds on top of the work that is already being done. And it's, and it's the kind of value that I think we need as block one to contribute 
like I said, to provide air support for all the people who are actually doing the harder work, which is getting blockchain out there and, and making an impact, you know, getting EOSIO out there and making an impact with it. I think so, it's important for people to remember sometimes that uh, there was a point in time where the internet was still new, where Netflix mailed DVDs to people, yeah. um, you know, where, where all these technologies like uh, were kind of a big leap. And uh, we kind of take it for granted as everything becomes so easy and connected and accessible. Uh, and I mean, there's, there's banking systems that are still running on Pascal and stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, there are financial systems that are still running on paper. <laughs> they have <been>. Wow. <laughs> Who'd have thought? It, it, it's so, yeah. Like when I say that the, the competition isn't another blockchain, I mean it. I mean, the competition is, is a whole bunch of status quo and a whole bunch of inefficiency out there. And, you know, I think, I think blockchain is a, is a beast of a technology to go in there and disrupt all of it and, and bring it not only into the, the 21st century, but into a, a level that most of the 21st century up to this point hasn't even known. So it's kind of a quantum leap. So from, from a business development standpoint, what does this look like? So the benefit here of your, your sales funnel is it starts with EOS.io, which is like the front facing piece of the EOS public network and EOSIO, the software. So whenever someone hears about EOSIO and they fill out your web form, I guess that's one of the top of the funnels, but Nathan asked earlier about maybe a future partner program. Is there potential that you guys will serve as like this funnel that passes down leads similar to like a Salesforce program where Salesforce doesn't actually do a lot of this stuff, but they have like their, their partners that they, they kind of like trickle down the, the leads and in, in business. I, I, I'm rambling. <laughs> I'll just drop. No, I, I mean, I think you're, I think you're on the right track though. Like, Building, building out the ecosystem the, you know, uh, of developers on EOSIO is absolutely a priority of, of this initiative and, and Block One in general. Um, so I, there's nothing official. Like I said, what we have today is where we start. Um, but you know, long term, I think there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of opportunity for those kind of things to, to form up and, and happen. Uh, how they happen, when they happen. Uh, I might not be the right person to ask about mm -hmm. that. You can always reach out, you know, to the official Twitter channel and, and poke them and maybe one day get a, get a response that blows you away. <laughs> you know, as you've said, you want to start uh, bringing more engineers into the fold. Um, having your own consulting arm is to help bring businesses in, but then the training arm is to help, you know, keep those businesses, uh, you know, staffed with engineers and to have a broader pool where they don't always have to come to you. There's a variety of companies and services out there making products. Um, what's sort of the evolution of the, of the training program that you see? I, I haven't had a chance to dig deep into it, but for like certification levels or uh, training standards and um, sort of we're, we're in interesting times of sort of maybe bringing that around the world. Are there gonna be sort of conferences or seminars or sort of partnerships with universities where they might carry courses, kind of what's the uh, outlook look uh, for training? Yeah. So, I mean, the outlook for training and certification looks really good. Uh, we, we kind of went out into the world and hired some, some brilliant minds in this regard. Um, some of which that I'm sure you've worked with recently. One um, you can show. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I just want to state that if, the first course on the block one training and certifications is EOSIO 101. EOSIO 
01 was on Everything EOS. We're bringing you the Everything EOS developer courses. We're bringing you hours of video content to help you set up your development environments, learn basic concepts, code and test the smart contract, and build and deploy the front end. From zero knowledge to an app, in one course. Peter Kay, the, the head trainer of uh, Block One for the courses and videos, if you did the courses. Uh, OG here, uh, Nathan and I worked with him at Liquid Apps, but great world-class talent, you guys. I, I, don't, I don't think there's a better person to teach the world any type of technology uh, from, from my biased experience, but um, yeah, I just got that chill out of the way. Let, let's uh, continue. <laughs> yeah. We, I mean, we love Peter as well. Um, he, he also is working with uh, Bryant Nielsen, who is also a heavy hitter. He's also an OG yeah. in this idea of training people on to use blockchains. Uh, and the catalog that they've been able to assemble on, you know, a short timeline and it keeps growing is phenomenal. I, I think, I think this has one of, been one of the, the the most fun things for me to see uh, get built over the past, you know, year or, or so. Before that, we were working heavily on the protocol 1.0, so it's kind of hard not to that to be the, the number one thing. But afterwards, just seeing this kind of catalog of training come together and the way they introduce topics uh, to a number of different audiences. So I really think that uh, that's gonna be something that keeps on growing and keeps on kind of producing for ESIO writ large in the community and even really blockchain. Um, the ability for us to onboard engineers to basic concepts of blockchain uh, is so much faster with this catalog in place. And, and those concepts are fundamentals regardless of where you go. And then it just builds on top of that and it gets into some of the, the capabilities and the speed uh, that is core to EOSIO and kind of exclusive to EOSIO at this time. And uh, it really can kind of walk you up from, I don't even know what blockchain is and I'm not even really a coder, uh, all the way through you know a journey into the core concepts of blockchain, the core concepts of EOSIO, the core concepts of C++ so that you can, you know, add to EOSIO or implement contracts all the way up the chain into what, you know, you're getting into complete application development, whether it's targeting a private network or a public network. Um, so truly, I mean, there's just not enough good things to say about uh, that group and, and the content they're producing. I think it's just going to continue to get uh, bigger and bigger and better. So I think, um, I think of all the things that we've done that are kind of uh, public goods for the public networks, that one that one is currently my number one. Uh, I, I can't speak for all of block one on that one, but again, you know, there's just not enough good things to say about that team. It fills a, a major need. So the reason we had the original EOS IO developer courses here on Everything EOS is because we had a built-in community and audience. So we had their voices and we had their ears. Uh, and, and attention. So we wanted the way we, we thought was best to improve the ecosystem at the time, uh, our, our sponsor at the time, uh, Cypherglass sponsored the developer courses because that's the best way to grow a blockchain ecosystem is by growing the developers. It, 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 exactly. it seems like a no brainer, but it, it was a focus of ours. I'm glad to see that you guys are doing that. The part you, I guess, didn't touch on was, are, are there plans for like seminar, I know you guys have been doing webinars, uh, but are there plans for like university uh, interactions similar to what you guys have already done with Virginia Tech? Is that something uh, on the horizon? Uh, I can't really speak to that. That's way out of my wheelhouse at mm -hmm. that point. Um, Got it. You know, as far as, as far as things like hackathons and, and specific yes. events and stuff like that, you can always reach out to the events team directly and see what's on their horizon. Uh, they've really got no reason to hide from you because events are are amazing when people attend them so um, 
I think I think that's probably the better better contact for those kind of things. Well, since I know Block One people will be watching this, the request I have is after Corona, please, please, please give us a hackathon, at least one, just one big one, uh, please. That, that's all. Okay. <laughs> um, regarding that high level sort of introduction to blockchain, um, is there a focus on bringing that to non-developers? Do you want to educate sort of executives and decision makers on some of the, those higher level concepts of blockchain? Or are you trying to pursue a world where blockchain is kind of invisible to everybody, which we of course want, but uh, is, is there a direction to take, like we need engineers, but we also need people to want to hire those engineers or use that technology. Yeah. So what's the strategy there? I mean, I think I think a world where blockchain is just below everything and no one really knows it anymore uh, is a wonderful world. That, that would be a great vision to have. So we obviously have that, but you don't get to that world without the developers that Zach's talking about. And then also without some other decision makers being bought into this idea and knowing what it can do. Uh, so yeah, we, uh, we have courses that target non-developers as well and non-technical people. Um, in organizations, just because we feel like the impacts of blockchain in general and our own EOSIO uh, technology are important enough that we can we can make them something that other people can understand as a building block uh, towards this future where blockchain does underpin almost everything that you touch, and that's made it all the better. Um, you can't, you know, like I said, you can't do that unless you have kind of full stack application development. I don't mean on the, the coding side, I mean the full stack of organizational support. So you gotta have buy-in at the leadership level. You gotta have buy-in uh, at the consumer level. You gotta have buy-in uh, all over the place. And one of the easiest ways to get buy-in for blockchain is to have people understand what it can do. Um, as long as it remains a mystery to people, as long as people see it as something that they saw on a newscast about uh, cryptocurrency or unfortunately like some sort of cyber crime, um, it's going to remain in the shadows. It's going to, it's not going to have the impact it can have. So getting out there in front of that and, and being kind of forward about the positive impacts this technology can have on things like authenticity and, and verification of data and just really imbuing the data of your daily life with real senses of value, not, not kind of like fake value. I think if we can sell those concepts through and, and get those into people's heads, uh, we'll have a lot easier time getting support for the applications that then become, you know, the new world of, of, of digital everything. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, right. we got to get those on board too. <laughs> so I, I know there's not a whole lot of time. I, I, I posted a tweet this morning asking uh, the EOSIO community what, what they wanted to ask. I'll just go, so we can keep these answers relatively short, but um, what is the EOSIO teams? Um, like, how are you, how are you guys in uh, inter interfacing with the, public blockchain engagement team? Is it a very close relationship there? And what is the target release candidate date for the new resource model? So uh, that would be a better question for that team directly. We interface with them on a daily basis. Um, you know, again, speaking of, uh, of relationships that we made in the community and then decided we need to bring this kind of, this level of talent, this level of impact inside um, bringing that team on has been a wonderful addition. Uh, and, and we do as a, as a product level uh, interface with them daily and collect feedback that they get from the community uh, of all the public networks that they interact with and really take it to heart. And they've been able to, I guess, 
maybe uh, stick with us long enough to, I mean, I work with a lot of engineers. It's not always the easiest thing to get into our heads, um, but they've been able to kind of take the feedback and stick with us long enough for us to really understand it and digest it. And I think it's had a positive impact already. I think it's going to continue to have a positive impact. As far as uh, the kind of work that they're doing in the advocacy side, uh, I'd, I'd rather them make an appearance on your show at some point and just talk about it directly because they're amazing in their own right. I, I, I think that'll happen soon enough. I don't have a timeline, but I did request Kevin Rose on here. He wants to do it. So it's, it's up to you guys, Block One. Um, another question. So yesterday on Twitter, uh, Boyd, Boyd, the Project Boyd, they pointed out that uh, EOSIO disk was uh, removed uh, from the EOSIO repo. So I was just wondering what the status is of disk that was uh, brought up earlier this year, I think. Yeah, so one of the uh, one of the benefits and perils of open source software development is that, you know, we can't hide changes like that. So that's fact, it's, it's true, that happened. As far as, you know, the details and, uh, and stuff like that, I, I think we have some, really good messaging and really good uh, announcements coming regarding that in the coming months. So I'm going to leave it uh, as it is and, and, and just kind of let that, let that simmer for a little while. So is that like a lead in for my when EOSIO 3 question? When I, when EOSIO 3, uh, I don't know, what was the, the bog standard response? Again. Soon uh, TM. Yeah. Yeah. Soon TM trademark. Um, yeah. Stay tuned. Uh, for the most part, I think, we, we have gotten ourselves uh, into a reputation of not being communicate, communicative with the community. Um, I, I can't really comment as to whether or not we deserve it or not, but uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna work our way out of any reputation we have of that. We're gonna start communicating more often. There are gonna be more things coming out in the next couple of months that will help uh, address some of, these, some of these concerns and some of these questions. Any updates on uh, weighted threshold multi-signatures uh, for block production and um, that, yeah, let's stick with that question. And WebAuthn, sorry, and WebAuthn and late clients. Those, yeah. are, those are very technical questions. Okay, so, I mean, both of the first two features you mentioned, uh, uh, weighted threshold multi-sig, multi-sig uh, and, and WebAuthn, those were released last year uh, as part of the 2.0 and they've been, uh, available for public networks to deploy at their own convenience um, since then. So I don't know if we've seen a lot of um, adoption of those two particular features yet. Um, mm -hmm. But I do think uh, in the coming months, we will see more, more additional capabilities that um, make those features more valuable. So again, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil all the surprises that we're going to have coming out in the next couple months. So stay tuned to those announcements, but I do think there will be something in, in those announcements for that topic as well. Your non-answers are great answers. I like them. Uh, we got a lot of developer questions, which is why I'm glad you're on here because that's who I think are the most important people in the community. <laughs> now that there is EOSIO for business, uh, will we soon see an official Java SDK for desktop and possibly a .NET and other SDKs too? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to, I, 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 I wait the day that I can look back and, and laugh at this, but again, I think there are going to be announcements coming uh, in, in the near future that will, that will help, uh, help address concerns like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think those are valuable things uh, for the community. And so yeah, I think it makes sense that they, they should exist. All right. Nathan, you have anything or should I just keep running through them? I got, um, 
I had, I had kind of like a, maybe one you can play with a little more. Um, okay. So Nodios, Nodios and ESIO has a huge focus on WASM. Um, what's some of the sort of future direction that you want to take the WASM platform? Um, WebAssembly is still relatively new in the, like the, the, the whole space, never mind the blockchain space. Um, and what's some of the sort of direction or goals that you see uh, WASM taking um, and how uh, non-chain and on-chain uses of that WASM might start to interoperate or work together? Yeah, so I've been I've been really impressed with how they've taken WebAssembly forward. Uh, that spec has come together in a hurry as far as web standards, and it just keeps on getting better. Um, I think we're going to stick with with WebAssembly for for quite a long time. We think it has a lot of legs. Um, I think our investment last year in in ESVM, you know, a specific implementation of it for us, uh, kind of kind of alludes to that. Uh, and when you think about it, uh, what we're using WebAssembly for is is a is a very common you know intermediate language that uh, is deterministic and it does fabulous in that regard. So I, I don't see any reason to like kind of walk away from it. Um, as we saw with the challenge, like it's a it's a very versatile platform. We were even able to implement all of the EVM. Uh, well, uh, Syed was able to implement all of the EVM and actually multiple teams were. So that should speak to its accessibility in regards of being a very powerful thing. I think. More than that, what we're going to see is we're going to focus more on you know how do we take that representation uh, and instead of treating it as literal and interpreting it, how do we how do we translate that to more efficient machine code and how do we do uh, analysis of it to get you know not only safety guarantees but also some speed and performance boosts. Um, we have we have a, a wonderful engineer on our staff. Uh, his name is Bucky. Uh, I think some of you have met him. Uh, but he is a compiler genius and, and we're hoping to get more of those on staff. So if you know any compiler geniuses that really wanna work in blockchains, please forward their resume our way. Uh, because again, I think um, as, a, as a way of expressing what a program should do deterministically, WebAssembly is fantastic. And then everything else past that is kind of up to our layer to take and, and make it you know, more efficient and, and better in, in all regards. So. That's kind of what I see as the future for, for that execution layer. Now, what happens in two, three years when something, you know, other some other thing phenomenally shows up and it's it's different enough from WebAssembly to where there's actually a capability mismatch, you know, then we'll evaluate that when it happens. Uh, for now, like we look at the kind of future and, and, and what we see out there. And this is really still, I think, you know, the top of, of what we should be using for this particular use case, in my opinion. Great. Is, um, is ESIO string worth upgrading CDT versions for? Is ESIO string worth upgrading CDT versions for? So I'm a pragmatist. Um, if you have an application and it's close to being released, the answer is no. You, there's, there's no upgrade on the planet that should shift you from a, a product that is almost working, um, you know, away from a, a release. Like, again, I, the focus here should be on delivering applications that, that showcase what blockchain can do for the world. EOSIO string is nice. I'm going to say it <laughs> outright. Like if you're just starting a pro uh, progress, definitely pick up the new S, uh, uh, CDT and, and use that. It will have benefits. Um, are these benefits life-changing? Uh, it would be hard. You'd be hard pressed to find uh, an application where this is make or break. Um, but as a, as, you know, as a developer comfort, this is like a, 
nice cozy rocking chair as opposed to like the really hard rocking chair. Uh, so it's definitely worth a while, but you know, it <laughs> basic software development uh, pragmatism means that if, if you were at all close to releasing your software, please do not upgrade your CDT. Just, you know, sail that one all the way to release and, uh, and, and get a good impact out there for your users and for the blockchain community writ large. Cool. Um, I, I don't know how much time you have left, Bart. I, I want to just ask maybe a few cheeky questions about some technical layer, if you have time and if Zach's okay with that before he jumps into some lighter stuff to close it off. Yeah. Um, a few minutes. Sure, sure. Um, okay, just, just on ESIO string, um, what sort of savings in uh, sort of RAM savings or uh, net, net broadcasted savings might one expect like in, a, in like sort of a broad, sort of broad average? If, if you could say. Um, I can't. <laughs> you can't. And then, uh, yeah, um, no, I mean, like, that's so application dependent. And, you know, it, so it's, it's a really, really difficult to, to speculate that's, there. That's fair. Um, regarding, so in the NFT space, we, we see sort of two, two primary um, NFTs. We have simple assets, which is sort of a denormalized um, asset standard that stores things in JSON. And then we have atomic assets, which uses a, a normalized table structure and uses uh, serialization to try to um, achieve RAM optimization. Wh what would you say to people sort of in the world uh, who want to use ESIO to store information? Would you say using hum human readable JSON in string objects would be kind of the best way to go forward because it's just easy to read? Or would you say uh, using uh, sort of ESIO's built-in serialization and using um, you know byte arrays uh, is kind of the, the preferred and optimized data source or is there something sort of in between or something new that you guys are exploring to have like a, a human readable but highly efficient data broadcast uh, mechanism? Just any thoughts on that topic to share with people? Yeah, I, don't know I mean, you asked. Yeah. <laughs> Um, again, kind of application de uh, dependent. I think when it comes to NFTs, uh, uh, you know, NFT standards that don't get used don't have value. So more so than uh, the technical side of it, you should really be looking at you know, how usable is that standard. And if that forces your hand into certain um, inefficient storages and RAM, then it then it does, and that that will just be the nature of it. Standards are meant to be used, uh, so you got to kind of focus on usability. If you don't spend any usability to get those more efficient storages, then absolutely you should go for them. Uh, as far as what the future holds, um, I know it's going to sound like a broken record, but on that particular topic, I do actually think we have some things that are coming down the pike uh, that we can talk about in, in the coming months that will be relevant. Um, you know, are they are they laser-sighted solutions to that problem? No, but they, they will certainly help in that regard. Sure. And I guess maybe, maybe in a, a easier to answer sense, you know, we have a world of block explorers. A lot of block explorers try to make uh, transactions as easy to read as possible. We have ABI synchronization, so we can always have the latest deserialization available. But of course, we want blockchain to become invisible. So do you sort of... Um, I don't know, and it might be both use cases, but do you picture a world where uh, the, the blockchain layer remains kind of human interactable, or do we sort of envision a world where that sort of gets increasingly abstracted away through client applications, um, and we don't care if the, the blockchain layer looks human readable or, or human usable, actions um, and interfaces with a smart contract might become more obscure, abstract, or require 
heavily massaged data for the interface because you're supposed to use a client. You're not supposed to just use Clios to talk to the blockchain anymore. So what's kind of a, is there yeah. sort of some general sentiment in the, in the industry it, of which direction that takes? I think it's suitable to, to believe that, uh, you know, not everyone's going to fire up Clios and, and use that as a command line client in the future. And when we're talking about trying to get mass market adoption, that's a, that's a, that might be a bridge too far. Um, so I do think the, the future has a lot of clients in there, but I hope uh, in that, and this is again, you know, my opinion more than like a prescription from block one that we don't lose the, the, the guided human uh, readability of that data. Does that mean that a human could actually go and look at you know, the, the bytes on a wire and make sense of it? Probably not. But when you look at like any web technology today, same thing applies. You know, we used to have HTML pages where you go in and there would still be comments in there from the author and it was all nicely formatted and human readable. And now it's all compressed down to, you know, save bytes on the wire. And I think we'll see an equivalent on the blockchain side where there is um, some layers there that end up kind of obfuscating this from human view. But what we can't lose, otherwise we kind of lose the, the nature of blockchain is the idea of end-to-end -end authentication and end-to-end -end verifiability. And so if it becomes so obscure that the client uh, or sorry, the user can't find a client that they trust to help them on that journey, then I think we've, we've, uh, we've gone too far, you know, and we need to pull the, the needle back into a, a realm where uh, it's not so much that a human can directly understand that data, but a human with a client that they can understand can then understand that data. And so, you know, Trust is, a, is an interesting thing. It's a very personal decision. There's going to be a lot of people out there interacting with blockchains that will have a varying degree of what they want to trust their client to do. And we'll have to find the right balance there as far as, you know, what belongs on the client side, what belongs in the intermediate layer, and what belongs directly on the blockchain to guarantee that we still get this kind of end-to-end authenticity of data. Uh, as long as we keep that, I think we, we have some, some room there, some wiggle room to kind of get into more user-friendly idioms, more user-friendly interfaces. I think we have to, because again, we're talking about not just getting a couple of thousand people interested in blockchain. We're talking about getting a couple of billion people interested in blockchain. And that's gonna be a lot of work and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of trade-offs to be made. And as long as we don't give away the core essence of it, and I think those trade-offs are good. All right. Uh, I, I hope you don't have any more because we gotta let them go. Yeah, let's wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd, I'd love to have a chat someday where it's just like like oh here's highly opinionated you know if this does not represent block one let's just geek out <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. May, maybe that's a new idea so maybe that could be block I, I just want to state block one reached out to me to do this and i hope it's something that we can continue to do in the future and i would maybe not understand it, but I would be happy to be here geeking out with you guys. That's a great idea. So uh, I guess if anyone's watching or listening, that, that'd be a cool idea. But I, I do got to let Bart go. It's it's already kind of late. My wife's perhaps there is waiting for dinner also. So thank you, Bart, for joining us. Thank you, Nathan, for joining us from Melbourne. I guess until next time.